for those of you who may not know this, we started this church six years ago today on Father's Day. So this is our sixth anniversary. And um, we didn't do that intentionally. It's just the way the Lord did it. And I think uh, one of the things, he did it that way, I believe, to honor fathers, honestly. It is so important. Um, it's so important, important to express honor one to another. And it's, I know churches that believe in honor, but the honor always goes up. It's always about honoring the leaders, which is a good thing to do. But I think the reality of honoring people is when everyone receives appropriate appreciation and honor. When you honor people, you begin to tell them who they are sometimes when they don't know. And I think that's so, so important. Also, let me read this one verse of scripture and then we'll welcome Andy to come speak this morning. But the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. I receive um, uh, weekly meditations from, a, actually happens to be a Catholic uh, father, his name is Richard Rohr, and I don't endorse everything he says, but so much of what he says resonates with me. And he talks about the first part of life and the second part of life. And the first part of life is pretty well typified by selfishness, self-centeredness, striving to get ahead, identifying who you are and by what you accomplish. And the second part of life is more about who you can be for other people. And see, that's what Paul means here when he says, for we have 10,000 instructors in Christ. How many of you know a lot of religious people tell you what to do? 10,000 instructors in Christ. Yet, do not, yet we do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And so, one of the primary characteristics of a true father is living a sacrificial life for the children and this is not to put down fathers who haven't done that but it's really to elevate and to direct people into particularly the men here today just to encourage you and to exhort you to learn how to live a life for other people not just yourself I have um over the years, I don't know how else to put it, just sort of these young, ambitious guys, and they want to have a meeting, and the, primarily the meeting is about how, how they can become wonderful. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's so disheartening because you know they're going to have their hearts broken before it's over. I was telling Drew, we were sort of laughing about it, I was talking to Drew Jordan this morning, and he's, uh, like most of us, had several challenges. You know, you go through life, certain things can break your heart. And um, so he was telling me he lost his iPhone, and it had all the songs he had written over the last year or two. And then he started laughing. And I said, Drew, man, when you're starting to laugh about the last horrible thing that happened to you, you're well on your way out. <laughs> And that really is true. You ultimately will not be a terminally happy person without having weathered heartbreak, trial, 
difficulty and learn how to laugh at all of it because it's all an imposter trying to tell you who you are. And nobody but God should be able to tell you who you are. And here's who you are. You're my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. Come on. Come on. And so pay attention to the Lord. Now, here comes Andy. Okay, everybody. How you doing? Doing well? All right, I am happy to announce to you today that God is at peace. All right? Yes. He is at peace with you. He is at peace with your neighbor. God is at peace with your enemy. God is at peace with everything on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Totally at peace. He is not wringing his hands, wondering what to do. He is at peace with everything, seen and unseen. If you have your Bible, you can read this with me in Colossians 1. This might be my fourth favorite verse of all time. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him reconciled everything. To himself, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That's a pretty incredible verse. The implications of it are astounding. You should and you could meditate on this for the rest of your life. So is there anything or anyone that God has not reconciled to himself? Is there anyone or anything that God hasn't already reconciled? No. He has reconciled everything seen, everything unseen, everything in heaven, everything on earth. It has already been reconciled through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Amen? Are you with me so far? So here's from 2 Corinthians 5.19. It's another scripture to confirm what I'm saying to you. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting the trespasses against them. And he has committed to us, you and I, the word of reconciliation. So God was in Christ on the cross, solving all the problems of the universe in one fell swoop. And that thing that he did, that message of reconciliation that happened in that one moment, He gave us that message to give to the world. All right? It's awesome news. It's incredible news. So we don't minister an antagonistic word. We haven't been given a word that is calling us to persuade men how bad and how evil they are or how awful the world is. What has been committed to us is the word of reconciliation. That God has reconciled everything in His Son, Jesus Christ. 
I don't know if you've ever looked at it that way before, but that's the way it is according to Scripture. So not only are we carrying that message of reconciliation, but we, right now, if we're followers of Jesus, if we've trusted the mystery of the work of the kingdom, we are actually carriers of that reconciliation. We proclaim that reconciliation, but we also live it out. Amen? So we are the reconciled of God who proclaim the word that God has reconciled everything to himself. We not only proclaim that, but we live that. No longer do we judge anyone according to what the world says about them. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this, We regard nobody anymore from a worldly point of view. How do we see them now? We see them through the lens of the cross. We see them through the lens that God has redeemed and reconciled all of the entire cosmos. There's not anybody or anything that's left out of that equation. It's not that some people are reconciled and other people aren't. It's that everybody is reconciled. It's that when you meet somebody in the street, you no longer engage them as a person who's not reconciled. You, you engage them as a person created in the image of God, fully reconciled to God himself. No distance between that person and God exists. They just don't know it yet. And the thing that you're supposed to do is proclaim that to them. It's not, hey, buddy, you're horrible. The world's horrible. Uh, Just believe and then be reconciled. The message is, you are the reconciled of God. Right now, no matter what you do, what you've done, where you're going, you stand reconciled through the blood of Jesus right now. That's what the scripture says. The implications of it are huge. I don't know if you've thought about this, this this way before, but I'm giving it to you anyways. Anybody with me? Anybody not with me? All right, okay. All right. So we persuade, we make known, we make plain to all people that they too are the beloved of God. The treasure in the field that we talked about two weeks ago, created as the workmanship of God, so valuable, so valuable that God died on a cross to ransom us. Not giving us value, but proving how valuable we are. Do you remember we talked about that before? The cross didn't add value to us. The cross proved how valuable God created us in the first place. So, if you're taking notes, the title of my message today is God's Great Pleasure. God's Great Pleasure. And I'm going to start in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 5, go like this. Even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to welcome us, to bring us into his family, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. From before time began, God had a desire. There was something that he wanted to do. Do you know that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit could have been God without us? But they didn't want to. Think about that for a second. 
They were perfectly happy in total communion with each other, having just this love fest. But at somewhere along the way, they decided, you know, this is really good, but it would be even better to have a bigger family. It would be better to create some people in our image that we could fellowship and be in communion with all of the time. His original idea was to create you to enjoy him and so that he could enjoy you. You're actually God's great pleasure. Man, this should be baking your noodle at this point. So this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God's great pleasure is bringing people into his family. That's, that's what he lives for. That's what he enjoys doing. Do you know God enjoys doing things? He likes getting to know people, and he loves people getting to know him. The whole extent of Scripture is just the story of, of God creating the world, things getting messed up, and his already existing plan to fix that. You know, I read this quote the other day. It said this. I love this. The Bible is the only holy book that tells the story of how its own religion doesn't work and what God has done about it. How cool is that? All right. The Bible is the only holy book that tells the story of how its own religion doesn't work and what God has done about it. Amen. So last time I spoke, we went through a bit of Ephesians and we, we discovered a few things that God has an intended purpose, right? According to Ephesians 3.11, God has a desire, an intended thing that he's doing. And at one point, uh, those purposes, the, those, his intentions, they were mysterious. Mankind didn't really know what was going on. Paul talks later on that the Gentiles, meaning us who are not of the Jewish uh, the, the, the covenants of the Jewish people, we were lost, we were without hope, we didn't have God, we didn't have access to God, but that Jesus came and made a way for that all to go away. All the separation was gone. There was no more lack left. The cross settled that for us. He settled it for the world over. So there, there were plans and purposes that were mysterious. They were hidden, but God made them known. But now the purpose of God is no longer a mystery. All right? So we were dead in sin and transgressions, following the patterns and thought processes of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We once lived according to the cravings of our flesh, and we were objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ while we were dead in our transgressions. All right? So when you were made alive in Christ, what were you? You were dead, okay? So he made us alive. When did he make us alive? When we were dead. He made us alive. When did he make us alive? While we were still dead in our sins. Did you do anything to be made alive in Christ? No. You were made alive in Christ while you were already dead in your sins. 
Pretty incredible, right? The implications are huge when you really start thinking about what that means. Because a lot of us think that at some point we believed enough, we chose mental assent and became made alive in Christ. But according to the scripture, while you were dead in your sin, what happened to you? You were made alive in Christ. It is the gift of God lest any man should boast. You didn't do anything to receive that gift The implications are huge. The world over, God reconciled the cosmos to himself. He made room for all people everywhere at all times, made alive in Christ while they were dead in their sins. And the message of reconciliation is that you and I get to walk down the street and tell people that they're the reconciled of God. So what did we do to be made alive? Nothing. Let that settle for just a second. Somebody somewhere proclaimed this reality to you, and you trusted that word. And that was your faith point. That was the way you started enjoying relationship with God, right? It's not that faith isn't a part of the equation. Um, I've heard Bill Johnson talk about, you know, you can have a million dollars in the bank, but if you don't have access to it, you could still starve to death, theoretically, right? So you could have a million dollars and not go get it out of the bank and and be without the thing that you needed. But the fact still remains, you have the million dollars. And that's what's going on here in this passage What we're really talking about is adjusting the narrative of the message that we're preaching to the world. We're not coming at people with a narrative where we have to convince people how bad they are and how bad the world is. You know, most people get up out of bed already thinking they're the scum of the earth. Most people turn on the news and realize that the place that we inhabit is kind of dark. There's a lot of things happening that could really cause people to fail, their hearts fail with fear. Amen? And what the last thing the world needs is a bunch of Christians walking around trying to convince everybody about how bad everything is. They already know that. That's not good news. The good news part comes in is where you come in contact with somebody and they're like, man, I don't know what the heck is going on around here. And you say, me neither, but I do know this. You're the reconciled of God. You were created in the image of God. You were created in the image of your creator. He made you, he actually hardwired you to believe in him. Belief isn't hard. What's hard is overcoming the lie that says you can't believe. What's difficult is overcoming the lie that says you weren't created to walk by faith, but the very fact is God designed you from before time began to walk by faith. It's in your DNA. This is who you are. He created you to worship. He created you to love him. He created you to walk in peace. He created you to walk in joy. He created you to walk in the fullness of God all the time. Ephesians 3.19 says, This is the very thing that I made you for, to be filled with the fullest measure of God. Think about that for for just a second. God designed you to have all that he is inside of you. That's a lot different than the way you feel sometimes walking through this world, amen? But the cool thing about being a follower of Jesus, somebody who is walking by faith, is that we don't have to allow our circumstances to dictate how we're walking. 
We don't have to let the, the circumstances of the world that we're walking through be the mainstay voice that's in our head. Amen? There are some other things that we need to be pulling on in order to be followers of Jesus. Oh, I lost track of my notes. All right. So somebody somewhere proclaimed this reality to us and we trusted that word. Somebody made plain to us the mystery that had been hidden for ages, that the foolishness of God was that he loved the whole world and he gave himself to us and for us. For in Christ, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. Colossians 2.9. If you've ever wondered what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you ever wondered what God was like, look at Jesus. If you ever wondered what would God do in this situation, look at Jesus. If you ever wanted to know the true nature of God, look at the life of Jesus. It's mysterious. So even when we say it out loud... Sometimes it doesn't even make sense to our plausibility-loving minds. But our hearts are hardwired to believe God. We can choose to be childlike and have the hidden but actual kingdom of God revealed to us. You know, when we use the phrase kingdom of God, a lot of times we think that's a virtual thing. That that's something that's out in the future or it's on its way to us. The kingdom of God is in the earth. It's here. It's working. It's hidden. It's being revealed. We welcome it. But a lot of times it faces hostility. But the kingdom of God is a very real thing. And the only way to see it, the only way to really access it, is to trust Jesus the way that a child would trust him. And to trust the craziest things in scripture that God is proclaiming over the church and actually start taking them into our lives. So we can choose to be childlike and have the hidden but actual kingdom of God revealed to us. And as we see it, I love this we can frolic in it. We can enjoy the unsearchable riches of Christ and make the mystery plain to the world that we inhabit. Four minutes. <laughs> oh, this is tough. Lord Jesus, help me. I know I've given you guys a lot so far. And I don't think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish it on these last two pages. Um, man. I'm going to have to do a third part, Robin. At some other point. Hmm. So a lot of times... We see these high and lofty things in the scripture and it takes us time to digest them and it takes us time to really take them in and make them an actual part of our life. Um, and 
And it could sound even pie in the sky a little bit, and I don't mean it to sound that way. But I do know this, that sometimes in life we face difficulties and challenges that seem to contradict the love of God in our life. Isn't, isn't that right? And, um, and so there's this interesting passage in the book of James where at the very beginning of the chapter, James says this thing. He says, if you are facing various trials, various things that seem to contradict this wonderful good news that we've been talking about this morning. He says this thing. He says, count it all joy. You've heard that scripture a million times, right? It's like, count it all joy. Like, somehow you're supposed to, like, get really happy about the horrible circumstances in your life. But the thing I know about joy is that you can't fake it, right? It's not something that you can fake. You're joyful because you know something. You're joyful because there's something inside of you or there's a a greater reality that you've tapped into that is bigger than the circumstance that you face. So when James is talking about counting it all joy, he's saying do the math. What you do is you're not counting all your troubles. You're not counting all your afflictions. You're not counting all the things that you're going through on this earth. What you're counting on is the the truth, the reality that God has reconciled everything to himself. And that thing is residing on the inside of you. And that thing that's on the inside of you is much greater than the force that's coming on you from the outside. So, but it takes, it takes meditating on, church. It takes changing your mind. You have to get in the scripture. You have to think about these things because there is a battle going on for our minds. Amen? There's something out there that wants to convince us that God doesn't mean what he says. So I want to close out with this scripture from Ephesians 4, and it says this. This is incredible, man. The Bible's incredible. It's incredibly confusing at times, but man, if you can, if you can latch into it, there's just some amazing things that, it, it, that it's claiming. But he says, Paul says this in Ephesians 4, verse 23. He says, this is what we want. We want to be made new in the attitude of our minds. We want to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new self. Why? Because we are created to be like God. Have you ever read that scripture before? You were created to be like God. That's a lot different than a lot of religion has preached to you over the years. I know I've heard a different message than that. But Paul's saying this to the church at Ephesus. You are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's 1130, guys. Why don't we stand together? Boy, abbreviated church is kind of (laughs) tough. I actually took some of Andy's time, so... Why don't we reach your hands out? Let's bless Andy this morning so he won't leave 
feeling like he didn't get his whole message preached. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much for Andy. Lord, he stands here this morning as a representative father that we bless on Father's Day. Thank you for Amy and the kids who are just uh, such, such a blessed family. We thank you for them. Amen, amen. amen. What, was that, what was that thing about the Bible's the only book? Yeah, read that again. I'm going to get that tattooed on <laughs> on your arm. <laughs> the Bible is the only holy book that tells the story of how its own religion doesn't work and what God has done about it. Bam. Bam. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> All those poor people trying to live under the old covenant. And the Lord's going, it was never going to work. <laughs> never. Never. Oh, that is so funny. Is that funny? That's funny. Awesome. Okay.